City Church podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Isaac Thibodeau is preaching through Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And the sermon title is The Millennium and Christian Unity. We hope you are blessed by the message today. God of heaven, we come before you as your people. We know that you are, you are who you say you are. We believe what your word um, says about you. We believe that you are the God of all the earth. We believe you have sent your son Jesus to redeem humanity, to forgive us of our sins and to give us eternal life through him alone. And that you've promised to save this world and save the people in it, those who believe in you. God, as we get into your word today, please make it clear. Um, As we talk about these complicated subjects, Lord, um, just give us unity with one another and understanding. Um, And I I pray that um, though a complex issue, it would be be comforting and it it would be uh, unifying and inspiring for us, Lord, to, to serve you more fully. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so I have a a bit of a daunting task before me today. Um, We are going to be talking about um, a very complicated issue that I hope to make simple. But before we get into that, let me introduce myself. My name is Isaac. Uh, For those who are new here, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, We've been going through the book of Daniel, which is in the Old Testament. We've been doing that um, pretty much since the beginning of this year. And we're a little over halfway through the book now. We're into chapter 7. And this is the part in the book where it gets into lots of prophecy and lots of very complex but but awesome things. Um, So I wanted to give a couple disclaimers on the front end. So for any of you here who are new believers or unbelievers, and maybe you don't know a whole lot about what the Bible teaches about the end times or um, the fact that Christians actually disagree about this issue in a lot of ways, Um, This first part of the sermon may be a little much for you, Um, not because you're not smart or anything, (laughs) but because it's a lot. Like, it's it's a lot, even for Christians who have been in this stuff a lot. It's a complicated subject, thus why there are different opinions in the church about this. So I... My, my goal in this, in this sermon is, is not actually to, to make a case for any particular view of the end times within Christianity, but it's actually to um, make clear what, what serious Christians have believed and do believe now. And the main goal, really, um, is that as a church, we would understand these various views within Christianity uh, for the sake of understanding one another better and having a more full unity with one another, and um, that our, under- our own understanding would be sharpened, and that we would um, come to the Bible, and particularly the, the book of Daniel through our study here, and that we would um, come to a deeper understanding of what, what the Word says, what the Lord has said. Um, and I hope halfway through the sermon, we will be touching, um, we'll kind of transition to talking about unity. Um, amongst uh, various views within the church. And uh, I hope that that will be a blessing to you, whether you're a new believer or an unbeliever trying to understand what Christianity is all about. So with that, with that disclaimer out of the way, um, let me talk about, let me say what we're going to be talking about specifically in this sermon, because I don't think I've done that yet. 
<clears throat> and then uh, we'll talk about the reasons why we're covering it, and we'll, then we'll get into it. Um, so we're going to be talking about what is called the millennium, the millennial reign of Jesus. Raise your hands if you've ever heard of the millennium or the thousand-year reign of Jesus. Okay, so that's most of you in this room. Okay, so if you're not familiar, um, it's talked about explicitly in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. So it's the last book in the Bible, and it's the last part of that book. And it talks about this thousand-year reign. Um, and you may be wondering why we're covering that when it's not specifically mentioned in Daniel chapter 7. And that is true. It's not explicitly mentioned at the, at the very least. However, um, in Christianity, there are four major views of the end times. And, and when I say within Christianity, I mean historic, what we call orthodox or true Christianity. So there's obviously lots of cults out there who have really wacky beliefs about what's going to happen at the end, and by no means are we including them in this. <laughs> We're talking about Christians historically who have believed that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, who have affirmed that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who believe that Jesus is the way alone to salvation from our sins and to eternal life. That's what I'm talking about when I say Christianity. So I hope that's clear. But there are different views, and it's, they're kind of like different packages that include most of the same contents, but in different order. And we need to, what, what I'm hoping to do in this sermon is to lay out what Christians have believed about these various issues so that it's clear, so we're not thinking other Christians are stupid for believing these things. Because I, I think there are smart, godly Christians who believe all of the views I'm, I'm going to present. And I'm sure all of them are represented in this room uh, to some extent or another. So my goal is that we would have deeper understanding of what Christians have taught and believed so that our own understanding will be sharpened and that we will have greater unity with one another. So I hope that's clear. Let me give a, an analogy for how this works. And hopefully this will be helpful for even some, of, uh, some new Christians in the room. Um, so imagine a puzzle, okay? Imagine a puzzle. Now the outer edges of the puzzle are the most important thing to do first. And anyone who's done a puzzle knows that because once you get the frame done, first of all, it's the easiest because the, the pieces are all like square on the sides, right? So you know which ones belong on the, the outer rim. And they frame the entire puzzle. That's how you know, like once you get that in place, the rest of the puzzle can be pretty easy. At least it should be. And you can put the pieces together. Now, Christians, historic Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, Agrees on the outer rim of the puzzle. We believe that Jesus has come in the flesh, that he has come to save those who believe in him, that he has come to redeem from sin and to offer eternal life, and we believe that he's coming again and that he will judge the entire earth and that those who belong to him will, be, um, will enter into the new heaven and new earth, what we call the eternal state, and that those who have rejected him and are in rebellion against him, which is anyone who does not believe and trust in him as their Lord, um, they will be cast into, into judgment forever and destruction. So Christians are agreed on that, generally, on the, that scheme there. But then you have all the puzzle pieces in the middle. 
Now, as Christians, we all have the same puzzle pieces we're working with. We all see the same things in the Bible. We all see things that talk about what's called the resurrection, which is not Jesus' resurrection, but our resurrection. Someday we will be raised from the dead. Um, we see some, uh, talk of a tribulation, a beast, an antichrist, a rapture, um, a golden age from um, like the millennium particularly, which we'll address in a bit. See, all of these different pieces. And Christians, although we have the frame of the puzzle right, which is the most important part, mind you, and it's necessary, the pieces that we have in the middle, we put in different places sometimes. We put in different order. Um, and that does kind of change at least how, how the whole puzzle is, is seen from a certain perspective. Although, again, the most important parts are the edges. So that's kind of what we're dealing with here. Um, there's, there's different views on this, this subject. And uh, I heard a really, a really great quote um, about this. Uh, this is what it says. The millennium is a thousand years of peace that Christians love to fight about. And it's sadly true. It is sadly true. Now, I think I, I highly encourage discussion on this. And this, this week's actually a city group week, which for those of you who are, who are new, we, we have groups that meet throughout the week. Um, every, well, every other week we meet on Friday nights and um, gather together, share a meal, and talk about the sermon from the previous Sunday. And uh, this is a city group week, so this, hopefully this will be a, a, good, a good discussion for us in our city groups. Um, but... We, we don't want to fight about these things. We want to talk about these things because we're brothers and sisters. And uh, hopefully that will be clear, but that's enough of an introduction for now. Um, now we should get into the views themselves. So on the screen, there should be listed um, the four major views. So I'll, I'll list what they are. Now these are big words. Um, so... They're going to stay on the screen while we continue the sermon so you can reference them. And I will define what these are. But there's what's called dispensational premillennialism. Then there's historic premillennialism. Then there's amillennialism and postmillennialism. Now raise your hand if you've heard of those before. If you've heard of those before. Okay. So a good, a good, good amount. Okay. So, um, again, in this sermon, I, I am not making a case for any of these views. I do have my own opinion, but I'm not going to be making a case for those. Um, I, I want this to go a, a different direction and more of just so we understand one another and then can pursue unity. So let's talk about um, the millennium for a second. So the millennium is a thousand years where Christ is reigning. That's what Revelation 20 talks about. And Christians disagree about where this takes place. So some Christians, which would be in the premillennial um, camp, they believe that Jesus returns before this thousand-year golden age starts. And his coming actually kind of initiates that thousand years. So Jesus will literally come on earth and reign for a thousand years in Jerusalem, and it will be like a golden age of peace. Um, so, so there's that view, and that, that is um, by far uh, the most common view in the United States of America. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'll, that's all I'll say about that. <clears throat> now, there's two types of premillennialism, as you can see on the screen. There's historic and dispensational. We'll get into the differences there in a minute. Now, amillennialism, that... Believes, they believe that um, the millennium is actually 
simultaneous with this present age, with the church age. So this thousand years of Jesus reigning is happening now. As Jesus is king, he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's king, he's reigning, um, and, and he's reigning now. Now, uh, we'll get into the differences there between that and the next view, which is post-millennialism. Which, um, it's, it's kind of not fair to the all-millennialists with how this is worded, because ah means no. It means no. So no millennium. Which isn't really fair. They don't actually believe there's no millennium. They're not like liberals who... Don't believe part, a part of the Bible. That's not how it is at all. Um, really, all millennialism and post-millennium, post-millennialism are both post-millennial, meaning they believe that Jesus returns after this thousand year. Makes sense so far? It's, it's complicated. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get more understanding. But um, So the, the main difference between all millennial and post-millennialism, as you can see on the screen there, which is the last one we'll briefly touch on here, is post-millennialism um, believes the same thing that, that this present age is the same thing as the millennium. So the church age is the same as this thousand years. And of course, this thousand years is figurative because it's already been 2,000 years of church history, right? So, <laughs> so that maybe you could have held it literally before you got to year 1001, but now it's too late. So now we have to take it figuratively. Um, <laughs> but, but that's okay. Revelation is full of uh, symbolic numbers, so... Nonetheless, um, it's a thousand years. But the main difference is that all millennialism either believes that this, the, the reigning is actually being done in heaven. So the saints that are reigning, this golden age is actually happening in, in heaven after saints have died, right? Before Jesus comes back. Um, but it doesn't necessarily apply to the earth. Or, or... Um, some amillennialists do believe it applies to the earth, but it, it doesn't have to do with a physical kingdom, like affecting necessarily like affecting politics and all these other things, but more so uh, a spiritual kingdom. So those, um, the kingdom of God is growing on earth in the sense that people are being saved, and it, it's purely spiritual in that sense. Um, and there's obviously more to say, and you know people might say it a little differently than that, but I'm just trying to generalize there. Whereas post-millennialism would view it more as a um, it, affecting this earth, so pertaining to this earth, God's kingdom is growing, and eventually Christianity will be dominant over the world. Not in a military way, but in an ideological way. And in a way that Christianity will be the, the, um, the number one foundation for thought, and it will affect politics, and it will affect economics, and it will affect laws and government. Um, so it's, it's very earthy and, and physical in that way. And then Jesus will come back. So it, it kind of like the, a, more of a golden age on earth. That doesn't mean there's not going to be sin and death, um, of course, but that, that, won't, that won't end until Jesus comes back, and all of you agree on that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so far, that's where we're at. And we'll, we'll look into these a little bit uh, more specifically to look at the differences. So, let's talk first about dispensational premillennialism. Now, the word um, dispensational comes from this larger framework of how to view the Bible. And basically, people who hold to this view um, usually see two main, two main uh, stories in the Bible kind of coming together. They see one for Israel, 
and one for the church. And though they don't contradict, they, they do go together, but they are separate people. So typically people who hold to the view of dispensationalism will, will say um, Israel is God's chosen people and he has specific land promises for them and blessings for them. And then there's the church. And the church doesn't have really anything to do with these land promises that God still has for Israel that haven't been fulfilled yet. So eventually, someday, when Jesus comes back, he's going to fulfill those land promises for Israel. And he's going to set up the nation of Israel again, except it will be, uh, it'll be better, obviously, because Jesus will be king, right? So that sounds pretty awesome. Um, but the church is more or less a parenthesis in God's plan. Not to say it's a plan B, but, but Israel rejected the Messiah, so therefore his kingdom wasn't set up on earth like it would have been had they not rejected him. So instead, the gospel has now gone to the Gentiles, to the nations. And eventually that's going to come to an end, and the church will be raptured, taken up into heaven. Jesus, This isn't Jesus' second coming. He's just coming down, take the church, to go up. And then seven years of tribulation on earth. Um, or, um, so, and some people with a dispensational view do believe that, that the rapture will happen in the middle of those seven years. But that, that just complicates things even more. Um, but nonetheless, that, that, is, that is a view. But um, the, the, main, the, main, the main difference is, is that Israel church distinction which kind of causes all the other things to, to play out. Um, then there is historic premillennialism. So this, this view, um, like the name implies, is, is a bit older than the dispensational view of premillennialism. This, is, this was held, um, we, we can see it in the writings of the early church. And we can see a lot of these views uh, in the writings of the early church, but none of them were like fully thought out the way that they are today. And, that, and that's to be expected because, I mean, when you, when you think about it, until the church really had to come to, like, until there was a conflict over an issue, the church didn't really dig into the issue as deeply. So, for example, when people started saying that Jesus wasn't God in the second century, uh, the church started, like, really digging into the scriptures and coming up with a solid understanding of how Jesus is God. And the opposition forced them to do that. And the same thing with the Trinity. Same thing with um, the gospel and the Reformation, with justification. The fact that we are declared righteous by, by faith alone in Jesus. That wasn't really a discussion point until the Reformation. And the same here, talking about the end times, although it was talked about in some respect or another, nowadays Christians have really thought this through. And there are more robust, full-orbed full views um, of, of how this works, which is what I'm presenting today. Um, but the main difference, I would say, between the historic and dispensational, just hopefully have this come to a head um, with this particular part, is the Israel and church distinction. So um, historic premillennialists do believe that Jesus will come back and reign on the earth for a thousand years. However, they don't see Israel and the church as being completely distinct. They would see more as the church being a fulfillment of Israel. So Israel was kind of like the scaffolding, if you will. And, but the church is the fulfillment of that. The church is the true building, which includes Jews and Gentiles. 
um, and the promises that God had for Israel um, will be literally fulfilled in the thousand years when Jesus is on the earth. So like all the land promises, which is like from part of Egypt all the way into like the deep Middle East. Um, that's a big chunk of land. And they, and they believe that that will be literally fulfilled in that thousand year period of time. And that, um, but, but the main difference is that Christians, the church, will share in that with Israel. So hopefully that makes sense. That one view says there's a stark difference between Israel and the church. The other view sees them more as organically connected. Um, one is the fulfillment of the other. Not a replacement, not a replacement of Israel, but a fulfillment. Um, so there's, there's that. <clears throat> and then there's the amillennial view. Which, as I mentioned earlier, this is the view that this thousand years is not to, meant be, not to be taken literally. It's not to be taken as a literal thousand years on earth or in heaven. It's a figurative number that represents either the saints reigning in heaven with Jesus after they die, or it represents the um, Christians on earth who are, you know, bowing their hearts to Christ and living their lives for him. And it's, and it's a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual and moral kingdom on earth. Um, and I think the best way to, to explain that view is also to, to put it up against postmillennialism. So, so kind of like in how dispensational and historic premillennialism are very much similar, except their main distinction is Israel and the church, the way they view that. The same with amillennial and postmillennial. The main distinction is um, not so much that they see the millennium being now. They agree on that, and they believe that the kingdom is now. But the main difference is how they interpret um, the prosperity of that. So, an amillennial view expects that this, that darkness, that the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light will grow simultaneously together. They will grow together. So the church will grow, God's kingdom will grow, but so will, so will evil. And it will grow in the world and it will kind of come to an, a head at the end of history. And that's when Jesus will come back and, um, and conquer all his enemies permanently at that point. The resurrection will happen, all these things. So, when, so basically, Jesus will come back. When Jesus comes back, that's the end of human history. And then that's when the final judgment happens and the new heavens and new earth are made and, and the, the judgment. Um, the post-millennial view, as contrasted with that, is very similar with the timeline, except it doesn't expect that the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light will grow together. It actually expects that the kingdom of light will overcome, like, will, in history, like, permeate the earth so that you will, so that the Great Commission will be fulfilled to a very great extent, so that you'll be able to look at the world at the end of history and say, the nations have been discipled, Christianity, like, Christ's kingdom has, has overcome. Now, all the views, in some sense, will say that, of course, Christ's kingdom is going to win, right? Obviously, that's going to happen. The question is, how will that look in history? So, um, compared to the other views, the post-millennial view is the most optimistic within history. That doesn't mean it's right. Just because something's optimistic doesn't mean it's right. Um, but it is the most optimistic view out of, out of all of them. And the other three views would, would agree that things are going to get... Um, progressively worse in some sense or another um, until Jesus comes back. So, 
hopefully, that, that was a lot. That was a lot to get through. And I wish I had some nice charts to show you guys, like with uh, all those end times conferences. I always have like these fancy charts up there. I didn't have any. I'm sorry, guys. But, but uh, that was a lot. I applaud you for, for, uh, for getting through all of that information. Hope, hopefully, again, if you're a new Christians here, don't feel discouraged if you didn't understand much of what was said there, okay? Um, because uh, the, the Bible is very deep, and there's so much in the Word of God. There's so much that we all have to learn still in this book. Uh, and, and that's why we need one another, so we can learn from each other and learn from the Word together. So with all that being said, I want us to turn to some of the reasons why we disagree. And then we'll talk about how we can have unity. So there's, there's a number of reasons why Christians have these various views. Um, number one, when you become a Christian, usually you are taught by another Christian. Uh, in fact, almost always you're taught by another Christian. And whatever view they have or whatever view you're taught, typically that's the one you adopt, at least at first. Okay? So, that, so that's just one, one obvious reason, like, why, uh, why some Christians might disagree about it is because they were taught differently. But there's, a, there's obviously a deeper reason, because how did that start? And that starts with a number of things. Um, disagreements about the method of how we interpret prophecy. Interpreting the clear with the unclear. Do we use the Old Testament prophecies to interpret how they fit in the New Testament? Or do we look at the New Testament and use that as a grid for which we interpret the Old Testament prophecies? It's more complicated than that, but that's just one example. Or the nature of Israel and the church. The nature of what the kingdom looks like. The nature of the resurrection and the final judgment. These, these things frame and determine where we put those other puzzle pieces. Which is, which is why there's so much there, there is disagreement. I don't want to say so much, but there is disagreement with those middle puzzle pieces. So, those are some of the reasons. And uh, as we continue on in our study of Daniel, many of these things individually that I talked about will come up. So the main purpose of the sermon, again, is to kind of frame it so you guys understand where different Christians are coming from, especially if you're coming from a view that is not represented by, by the person preaching. Um, we don't want it to be taken as um, that you're stupid if you disagree with the person who's teaching, because you're not. Because there are smart, godly Christians who hold to all of those views that I mentioned. So there needs to be a, a humility. There needs to be humility and an understanding um, that just because you might have uh, a different view or a wrong view about one of these things doesn't mean you're not a mature Christian. It doesn't mean you don't know the Bible. It just means you're wrong about one thing. And uh, that doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue the truth, right? We should. We believe, obviously, the Bible teaches something about this, and there is a right answer. And uh, thankfully, um, as, as one person said, uh, they're a pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out in the end. And uh, I think, although that's kind of silly, I, I, do, I do agree that it's a good attitude to have about it. So, with, with all that, let, let's talk about unity. Let's talk about unity. So I think the, the end times, this whole thing we've been talking about, is a perfect example of something that genuine Christians can disagree about and still have deep love and unity with one another, even in the same church. 
And I know that is true because we experience that as a church. There are, again, these views are all within our church. And I think it's beautiful that we can still all share the Lord's Supper together, that we can all still gather together and pray for one another and love one another. And I think that's important to point out because I remember many times thinking, how is it that we can all have the same Holy Spirit and yet disagree about things? How can Christians disagree about so many things? And again, not disagreeing about the major things like who Jesus is, the Trinity, salvation, things like that, but, but all the other things like baptism. Christians disagree about baptism. Christians disagree about what they should wear to church, whether you should drink alcohol or not drink alcohol, like all these other things, right? Christians disagree about these things, but we all have the same spirit. We all have the same Holy Spirit. So, so how, how is it that that's the case? Is there just one small group that has it right and everyone else doesn't really have the spirit? I don't think that's true. So turn, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time together. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 1 to 6. I'll go ahead and read it. Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6. It should be on the screen too, if you don't have a Bible with you. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So this passage is talking about the unity of believers and the reasons why we have unity. I want, I want to notice, I want to point out things in verse 4. It says, there's one body, there's one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Those things are the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith. Those are the reasons we have unity with one another. There's one body, the body of Christ, that we are a part of. There's one spirit, the Holy Spirit, that has been given to all those who believe in Jesus. There's one hope, one hope that one day everything will be made new, that we will be raised from the dead, that we will be um, finally rescued from all of the darkness in this world, and that God will remake the, the earth and, and perfect it. We have one Lord, that is King Jesus. There's one faith, the Christian faith. One baptism. We're all baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. There's one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the foundation for our unity as a church. This is the foundation for it. And the application goes far beyond how Christians think about the end times. It, it goes to every issue that is not primary. 
Now, there are things that separate believers from unbelievers. If you do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you are not a Christian. If you do not trust in him alone for salvation, you are not a Christian. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, which you get by believing in Jesus, you are, you are not a Christian. And those are first, like first level primary issues of importance. And those are the things that we should divide over. It's good to divide over those things. Because you're, you are showing where your allegiance is. Is your allegiance to King Jesus or is it to something else? But there are so many other issues that should not make us think another person is not a Christian for believing another way. Now, to take it a step further, there are, there are things, as Christians, uh, there are certain beliefs that we may share that we disagree with other Christians that would make it really difficult to be part of the same church. So, um, there are lots of Christians who um, practice what's called infant baptism. And that's a very common practice throughout church history and, and, and Protestants, Protestant churches who believe the gospel and everything else. Um, it might be really hard for, um, for Christians who believe in baptizing their babies to come to a church like ours, which believes in baptizing those who believe, like only baptizing those who believe and not their children until they themselves make a profession of faith. That'd be really hard for that kind of family to come to our church, right? It's not we don't love them. It's not like we don't uh, share other things, but it could be really difficult. And that, might, that would be a good reason to maybe go to a different church, right? I think that's, that's very reasonable. That makes sense. But that doesn't mean you have disunity. It means you're actually making a conscious decision to maintain unity by, having, by making sure there's not internal conflict within a local church. So that's actually the wise thing to do. That's the thing to do to maintain unity. So there are, there are issues that will cause us to be in separate gatherings, but that doesn't mean we can't still love one another and partner together. There's just going to be certain things that we can't do together, and that's okay, because that's all going to be sorted out at the end when Jesus comes back, right? <clears throat> we'll all realize how wrong we were about so many things, and we won't care, because we're going to see the face of our Lord Jesus, and we will be made like him. And then there are things that we can disagree about within the church, like this end time stuff that we just brought up. This is something that we should be able to understand why other Christians believe what they do, still have healthy dialogue and conversation, and maybe even some, some fun jabs at one another from time to time, which I know I enjoy, um, and it happens to me all the time. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Um, <laughs> but, but there needs to be that... That sort of a culture within our church where we can talk about these issues that we should not divide with one another over. And, and it's good. The more unity we can have, the better over these things, right? So obviously we want to pursue a, a uh, consolidated understanding of these things, which is why as pastors we do try to, as much as we can, come to the same conclusion on things and try to teach it consistently. But that doesn't always happen, and sometimes there's going to be differences even between um, the pastors who are teaching. But we do so in a spirit of unity, wanting the church to be built up, for Christ to be focused on. And that's why these things that I mentioned here, or that Paul mentioned here, 
in verses 4, 5, and 6. These are the things we should be focusing on. These are parts of the gospel. This is the gospel. If you want to have unity, you need to focus on Christ. Because he's the one that has unified us. And notice what it says. This isn't just something that's going to happen passively. Paul says, I therefore as a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And he's about to describe what that means. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So if you are eager to argue about some political issue, if you're eager to argue about some theological, biblical issue, but you're not eager to maintain the unity that you have with one another, then you're in sin. And you need to turn from that. And that is something I personally struggle with myself, that I have to repent of in my heart. Because... When you get really convinced of something in the Bible and you think it's awesome, then you can get really prideful really fast and want to just convince people and argue with people instead of encouraging them. That doesn't mean there isn't a place for teaching those things that aren't primary. There is, because the Bible talks about it. Therefore, we should talk about it, right? We should be people of the word. But we need to prioritize what the Bible prioritizes. We need to put things in their proper place. So, some application here. Um, Though Christians disagree on what the kingdom of God is and what the end will look like, that does not mean there is disunity. That doesn't mean there is disunity in the strict sense. We should be unified in the indisputable truths of the gospel. Unified in the good news of Jesus and what the Bible talks about clearly. And one thing to keep in mind as, for, for application as far as um, maybe some of the reasons why God allows this is because it sharpens. When, when we come across a Christian who has a different view than us, it actually causes us to be sharpened. Because some of us might think like, well, how come God didn't just make everything black and white in the Bible and make it so obvious like every, even the small issues are super clear? Like how come he didn't do that? And I think one of the reasons why he didn't do it that way is because we wouldn't really grow. We would just assume everything. We would just read the Bible like a checklist of beliefs and just check all the boxes. And we would never go to it to be challenged and sharpened in our understanding of who God is. But when there's other believers who we have a strong disagreement with, an in-house disagreement... It's going to cause us both to go to the scriptures and see what the Bible says. And we're going to be made more like Jesus by doing that. Iron sharpens iron, as the scriptures say. And if there's one thing um, that we've talked about in Daniel that I know that we can all agree on, it's that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. He's the king of all things. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And whatever, that, whatever the implications are for that, as far as end time stuff, that, that's not the point. The point is that we all serve the same king. 
And we should all bow our hearts to him and his word and what he has said. And, and this goes back to like a fundamental truth that distinguishes a true believer from a false believer. Where is your source of authority? Is it God and his word? Or is it something else? And you, can, and you just put on a facade of Christianity because it's convenient for you. Or because it makes you look like a nice person. Or it, it um, takes away that surface level guilt that you have. Or is, are you really looking to God's word to change yourself? Are you really looking to God's word as a mirror and letting his grace wash over you and change you as you believe the words that you read? So I would give one final conclusion and, and just as, as a way of summary and encouragement for us. We will be going through, we'll be continuing to go through this book of Daniel, and there will be many complicated issues that we touch on. And although um, your particular view may not be represented, um, this, is what I would, this is what I would encourage, that we all hold fast to what we do agree on. That God's Son became human to save, to save us from sin, that he rose from the dead, to give us new life. That he's coming again to raise us from the dead. And that he will make a new heaven and new earth at the end of history and, and we will dwell with him forever in peace. Hold on to that. And, uh, and I would say study the word more deeply yourself. If these things have caused any questions or concerns in your mind, don't go to some book that's going to lay out these views. Like, that, that's fine to do after you have gone to the Word itself. Go to the Word and pray through the Scriptures and just ask God to teach you those things that are clear. And although you may not, understand, you, you may not be able to put it all together, you're going to understand those, those things that, that the Lord wants you to know from the Word that are, that are clear and that are relevant for, for your life. And above all, um, be, be more eager to maintain unity in our church, more than winning an argument. And that goes with, with, with any issue that is not a gospel issue, that is not primary. We should, we should pursue and, and eagerly desire unity with one another. And I, and I will say, we're about to go to the Lord's table, um, about to, to take the Lord's Supper together. And since we're talking about unity, um, I'll just briefly say that there needs to be unity in our church if we are truly going to say we share one cup and share the bread. There's one Lord, one body. And if we are disunified with one another, relationally, meaning like you have bitterness in your heart towards another brother or sister in this room, or there's some issue that you haven't resolved yet, you need to resolve that before taking the Lord's Supper. You need to. Because you're dishonoring this meal. You're dishonoring Christ if, if there is disunity in the body. We share one body and, and one, one cup for that reason. That we're reminded that in Christ, he has saved us and we are made one people together. So let's pray. Um,
and, and ask the Lord to speak to us here. God, um, I know that these issues are very complex and um, there's so much to them. But God, we thank you that, um, that the gospel is simple and it's clear. And although there are um, some details about how the end will, will play out, we know ultimately how it will. We know that you will come again. You will um, judge the living and the dead and you will raise your people to live with you forever. God, we long for that day. As John said, um, may we long for that day. May we be patient and long-suffering waiting for that day. But may we never be slothful in desiring you to come back. God, please, um, please build up this church so that there would be unity with one another. Um, May we be bold to confront sin in one another, but in such a way that it is coming from a heart of love and not of judgment. And God, as we um, discuss these things in city group and as we continue to discuss these various things in the book of Daniel, may we have a heart of unity and an, and an um, an open mind to see what your word says. May we be challenged and be willing to, uh, to conform our thoughts to your word. And as we leave this place, Lord, may we declare your gospel. May we keep what is primary, primary. And keep Christ at the, the center of our hearts. May we seek him who is far above all things. And I pray that you would do this miraculously in our hearts, Lord. Do this in the, the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.